2: Look, I'm going to level with you. I have my own things to deal with. After all, we are about to Have a
0: lovely landing.
3: The Orphans, an original cinematic audio drama, is now available. And now, The Orphans Facility, an exciting new prequel series. Catch up with Season 1 with new episodes of Facility coming bi-weekly. State of the Empire is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse and is brought to you in part by Consequence of Sound, the web's foremost source for music and film news, reviews, and insights. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to State of the Empire, nerdy show's Star Wars speculation podcast where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Hi, I'm Matt. And this is our long-awaited Rogue One post-mortem episode. Because in the weeks and months following the release of Rogue One, when we weren't releasing State of the Empire episodes during a very busy early year, a lot of new news came out. A lot of interviews and random pieces of information revealing just how strange... This film production truly was. The end result was a film that we liked a lot. Go back and listen to our review immediately after we saw the film for the first time. And since then, we've seen it many more times. But what's important about analyzing Rogue One over six months later is that it's a very significant stepping stone in the process of Star Wars evolving into this new era of what the franchise has become, this, the Disney era the anthology films, the Star Wars story films, finding out if this experiment actually works. And it was something that Kathleen Kennedy of Lucasfilm many times over mentioned that it was you know of great concern. So learning how much shifted and how much is different and how much the much publicized and scandalized reshoots affected the film paints an interesting narrative and it is in many ways one of the greatest stories of this new era of Star Wars not being told. Whether or not this final product was stronger, this fixed film, the film we saw in theaters was stronger than what it could have been, or maybe it was watered down and made more safe, the development cycle of this film is fascinating and, and no one's really talking about it for obvious reasons. But that's counterintuitive in many regards to Star Wars <laughs> because Star Wars has always been about the story of making crazy films.
2: I think they're the most well-documented like, productions ever. I mean, I think we know like fans know like every little detail about how these films were made, at least the originals and certainly a significant chunk of the prequels.
3: And because they were intentionally canonized and made legendary, not just because they were huge films, but because George Lucas, as a filmmaker who loves films, put money and effort and time into making things like the VHS from Star Wars to Jedi Mm -hmm. and, and having an entire fan club dedicated to sharing like behind the scenes information and so on.
1: Well, it naturally got people curious because they were seeing things that they couldn't explain how they were done. Like, how did they do that? Like, we, we've never seen anything like this before. Tell us the secrets. I mean, it really popularized the idea of what
2: filmmaking was. Like, I think it, it brought that aspect of film into a very significant pop culture zeitgeist.
3: So we planned for this episode to get made, well, a ways back, like right after Star Wars Celebration. But it's been a bit of a hassle to schedule this show. and. Well, now that Han Solo thing has happened, we've just spent the past two episodes of State of the Empire talking about what we do and don't know about directors Lord Miller being fired and replaced by Ron Howard, this being the Han Solo solo film being only the second Star Wars anthology film, and already there's a scandal, much like there was a scandal regarding the reshoots for Rogue One. This is (laughs) fascinating and also, you know, worrisome, obviously, because we don't really know what it means, and there's so much we don't know about who's really steering this ship. And, you know, we're analyzing it not just as, as fans who want a good movie, but also as people who grew up on Star Wars who've made something of a career out of analyzing the filmmaking process and being just fascinated by this, this train wreck that's also a mystery. <laughs> because we, as the general populace, are not privy to this information because it's sensitive, depending on whose fingers get pointed at
1: whom it could you know damn careers not to mention there's a lot of strange things happening like everything that happened on rogue one and especially everything that's happening on the han solo film those are rarities for non-mainstream non-franchise films but the fact that it's happening on like a film that's part of the largest franchise in well like earth history you know it just makes it even more fascinating
3: so this is going to be kind of an odd episode because <laughs> it's, a, it's a recap of a movie that came out over six months ago based on a ton of information that we haven't necessarily had a chance to discuss on the show yet, and us and sort of trying to figure out what it all means. And this seems like an interesting place to bring up an iTunes review that we just got. This is from Bugh Franklin, and it's a two-star review, I'm, I'm sad to say. The title is Bummer. They say, I genuinely used to love this podcast. It was my favorite Star Wars podcast. I'm now finding it a grind to listen to because it's negative beginning to end. I'm no rose-tinted glasses Star Wars fan, detest the prequels, but everything Disney does with it is now nitpicked within an inch of its life by this crew. There's telling it like it is, and then there's being so pretentious about something you become a snob. Hate to say it, but that's where this is now. Shame. And that's too bad. Uh, brace yourself, Bew, because, oh boy, we're about to nitpick, but this is all out of love and, and the nitpicking is only a byproduct of us trying to explore these films.
2: The deeper mysteries, as Palpatine would say. The the side of the story that the Jedi wouldn't tell you. <laughs>
3: and we felt the need to bring this up because it has been I mean, it has been a, a dark couple of shows solely because of this Han Solo news and how fucked up it is, really. What you're listening to, what you're hearing is us just reeling in confusion over what it all means.
1: And I think there's a difference between being confused and passionate than being entitled. I don't think Star Wars owes me anything. Some would be like, well, it owes us a good movie and a good time. I'm like, well, not even that. Like, Star Wars is always the weird experimental, you know, sci-fi movie. And the potential, now that Disney has it, to do so many new and so many cool things, it just, I mean, for me personally, it's like, The idea is actually kind of excited on all the different places it can go and all the different mediums it can explore and tell awesome stories in this universe, but I don't feel like I'm owed anything. There's a transaction. I give you money, you give me the thing. (laughs) You know, you give me the movie or you give me the comic book or whatever. But since we're about to talk about Rogue One, I don't feel betrayed or, like, let down. It's more of let's explore what this is and where does it fit in the grand scheme of things. And it's hard for me to, like, fully explain why I don't, none of it bums me out. Even if I complain about it, I don't feel bad. I don't feel like betrayed. I'm just want to see more, if that makes any sense.
3: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that bugs me the most about modern filmmaking is, particularly in blockbusters, there's so many missed opportunities and you can watch them whizzing by because the landscape of film is is ever-changing and we're in a cycle now where there's, you know, an abundance of films created by committee and the results are not great. And the weird thing about Disney's work is that the results generally are pretty good. I like Rogue One, you know, like there's some things about it where I, I cock my eyebrow at it and be like, really now, why, why did you do that? Or what the hell does that mean? But, you know, in general, <laughs> I remember the buzz I had when I first came out of the theater of like, I just saw a Star War, like that was a real Star War and it was crazy. But I feel like being a news and rumors podcast where we look for news in Alderaan places, we're going to get our hands dirty. You know, that's just like, that's the business.
2: Yeah, we'll be excited when we're excited about things. And we'll be upset when there's things that may rub us the wrong way. But it doesn't mean our love is diminished for the franchise.
3: We've got to be cautious. We remain extremely cautious. Cautiously yes. optimistic, perhaps.
2: I mean, Obi-Wan said it. <laughs> <laughs> must be cautious. <laughs> like yeah, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, we're going to go in and, like, embrace the most cantina and hug every, like, alien we come across. You know? There's some scum and villainy. Like, any good Star Wars movie.
3: Yeah. There are mysterious dealings going on. We don't know what they mean. We can only guess. And that's part of the ride.
2: This is part of this phase. Like you say, Cap, like, we're right now in the midst of a system that does these, like, not great films, typically, like, I mean, I, I some of them have been, you know, some films in the current Hollywood system have been great, but, like, mostly it's just they're okay with good because they're formulaic and they have a system now. And it won't always be like that. So we're looking at the movies that they're making now within this system.
3: And as they establish this experiment of what these Star Wars story films can be, it's going to be a long time, if ever, before they fess up what their thoughts actually, you know, were and what was a... A hit and a miss, and where the stress actually was, and we're just we're just curious to know. We just we want to find out. So we thought it fitting to read that review because we are definitely gonna be wading through some stuff right now. But the only reason we do this show, being one Star Wars podcast in a unending sea of Star Wars podcasts, we're just we're doing it because we love it and we love getting together and talking about these movies. Hopefully, you will, you whoever you are, will will find it uh, fun and insightful.
1: We talk about the film industry as a whole, but it's really a house that Star Wars built. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? Like the modern the modern film studio, it was so influenced by the success of the first Star Wars. I don't know how we can imagine how it would have gone if the first Star Wars never happened. Is it a victim of its own success? <laughs>
2: Could be. Or maybe not. That's
1: what we're here to kind of conjecture. Yeah. Or will it continue to break the rules, continue to push film forward? That's the big question.
3: So rogue 1, right? What I said earlier about these interviews, these interviews have been key here, post-film interviews. We've learned so many so many weird things, statements that I do genuinely wonder if they're true or if they've been somewhat fabricated or altered solely to give a better impression of the film because look, I mean, if a film needs reshoots to change directions entirely, For the better, so be it. I mean, it doesn't matter that there were reshoots. It doesn't matter. Where the questions come in is that we have been told, as fans and consumers and so on and so forth, that the reshoots were no big deal. But we know, like for a fact now, that they were a huge deal. And that there was reasons for why all the trailers featured a ton of shots that were not in the film at all and it potentially indicated one could assume that it indicated whole sequences and plot threads that didn't make it in the final film. And now we've been told that oh we were just goofing around basically we're just filming random stuff and I want to think that that wasn't a lie but
2: <laughs> that's too expensive to just be messing around. Like, to just spend a couple hours each day keeping crews on to film things that, like, look pretty and might be in the movie, but, like, there's no use for. Like, on a blockbuster film like that, like...
1: Well, what they told you was true from a certain point of view. (laughs) Because I think a lot... Well, what Gareth Edwards said was a lot of the... Some of the shots, like, especially the one of, like, Jin in that tunnel that's being all lit up, they had that set there and they were they were he saw someone literally turn on the lights to that like that part of the set and they just naturally turned on in that sequence and it caught his eye and he was like oh damn that would make a great shot get get felicity jones over there and like get her to stand in there let's just do a cool pose for like two seconds like shoot it without sound one setup two takes go
2: i'd be okay with that if like not every single other shot from that particular trailer ended up not in the movie (laughs) like I, was the I, entire I first trailer like indie hour as he called it like i'm just saying well, like i know people that have, when they read that article about gareth edwards in the hour people that work on active blockbuster film sets saying that that's a ridiculous notion that's not going to happen
1: well i mean couldn't it just as easily be that since this is like a big risky thing disney's probably i mean i'm just gonna play devil's advocate what if they're like breathing down his neck and they're like hey man Show us some things. we gotta, we got to make a trailer out of this. we got to get a teaser out here. Uh, and just, just to be clear,
3: uh-huh. um, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, and I will have many exact quotes later on, but for some reason I don't have this one. Uh, Gareth Edwards essentially said, so we had this thing every day that we just called Indie Hour where we just did cool shots. We just did cool shots every day, and we were filming a bunch early on, and um, the department that made trailers saw them, liked them, and just spliced them all together. And Boom, that's why, why there's so many weird shots. That's why there's stormtroopers walking through the surf. That's why Krennic is on the beach. No.
2: Well, I think Krennic was on the beach because, I mean, as we'll get into it later, that, that sequence was chopped up. I mean, probably for the better, but that sequence was cho- was chopped up between two different towers and also because, like, you know, the the Tarkin aspect of the movie was a kind of a late addition. Like, I don't think that was supposed to be Krennic's end, so to speak.
3: So... Essentially, the picture that we've been painted is of a film that is was transmuted at least twice. There's a reason that on Force Friday, when the new Star Wars figures came out, you could buy a figure for Sergeant Jen Urso, who was a member of the Rebel Alliance, from the get-go. Because, I mean, the, if you look at the timeline, there's got to be no question that that only happened because she was Sergeant Jen Urso of the Rebel Alliance, up until those reshoots happened in the late summer, yeah. There's no other way, and that means that the that that entire character's arc, the central character for the film, faced unheard of revision.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I, I think there's even quotes on that that Jin, I mean, that was something that came out of celebration, right? Where they they admitted that Jin originally was just a member of the alliance.
3: Yeah, no, they, I mean they they did, but what they haven't, I mean, they they have flat out said that. Obviously, they can't deny it. We have the action figure, but. <laughs> The thing is, is that they haven't addressed when that was. And they've in in all the panels that we attended pertaining to Rogue One at Star Wars Celebration, they shared a lot of amazing and cool concepts that, you know, many films have amazing and cool concepts that don't make it in. What they never provided information on was when exactly the kibosh was put on those concepts and how far things got along with them thinking they were going to go one direction with the film until they z- zigzagged sharply. Now, there's a whole list of cool stuff we're going to talk about that was probably extinguished before the actual original principal, to- principal photography started. But then things like, like Jen's story arc, I'm pretty certain that that was filmed and then discarded and <laughs> we're never going to see that. I mean, and maybe it's fine. Maybe it's for the better. Totally It's possible, but it's, it's odd. It's very odd. And I mean, they want, they wanted this film to be a success because it was a do or die thing. It was a, it was a, you know, a very, I, I mean, personally, I, I, I think doing Star Wars anthology films is no brainers. You've been making film quality stories for since 1977 in the expanded universe. Well, you know, not consistently, but yeah, throughout and so this is, this is no big deal to me. They were, they were always going to succeed with this, as far as I'm concerned. But they, risking millions of dollars, were very concerned. So here's the changes that exposed the severity of the reshoots. There's the action figure, of course. They announced the existence of Rogue One prequel comics. And then were on the verge of announcing who was attached to write and draw these comics. And then canceled those comics very quietly.
2: Yeah, very quietly. The only notice I saw was uh, Amazon letting people know that their pre-orders have been canceled.
3: That's shocking. That 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 says story changes. That says massive story changes, so much so that Marvel didn't believe that they could offer the proper editorial um, focus without potentially screwing something up within, what, about eight months of development. Now, there was... No Rogue One time material until April 2017.
2: And a lot of that material, there's some interesting things in it, but I don't know if I'm looking into like I've been reading. Uh, Cap, you've been reading the Rogue One, not the comic. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've been getting like the the I, you've been sending me some very interesting things, but I don't know your general like kind of overall opinion about it. But I will say the novels, the the young adult novels that have been coming out, Guardian of the Wills and uh, Rebel Rising, have feel rushed and neutered. I mean, there's some interesting things. Saw Gerrera becomes a very interesting character because they actually tie in his Clone Wars background a lot better. You know, he's severely affected by the death of his sister, Stila, from from the Clone Wars. And also having witnessed the the conversion of his resistance on Onderon from the Clone Wars to the Empire. Like, war never ended for him. So he becomes a much more dynamic character to me just showing that his entire life has been war. He's never had a chance to, you know, like he just turned and started fighting a new enemy. Essentially the enemy, the, he had started fighting a group that like had previously been helping him during the Clone Wars. So it's very, very interesting.
3: Well, and how about the the Guardian of the Wills book is backstory for uh, Basil and Cherries, a.k.a. Yes. Bays and Truth. Um, <laughs> was there any real insight to that? Because I mean, that's a great opportunity to learn more about the um, place of, of the force in the
2: universe. Jeddah is an interesting character, like the planet. it Or, you know, the, actually just the holy city, really, because it's not just like the world's religions have come to Jeddah, which is an important thing, too. It's not just like the Guardian of the Wills of the Temple of Kyber. There are dozens and dozens of religions, but also like dozens, possibly hundreds of religions have come and like since like become insignificant. Other there, like abandoned temples to religions that haven't been like a factor in the universe for hundreds of years, which I think is really interesting. It's like a like a super Jerusalem, you know. Like it's very interesting. Um, Like Greg Rucka does a good job with that, but like Truitt and Bayes, they have a good rapport, very similar to the movies. But what I actually think is very interesting is they are very aware of Saw They worked with his his partisan group whoa for a significant amount of time before. Like, you know, obviously they start seeing some conflict of, of, you know, what they're doing. Um, Once again, giving a lot more, like, I mean, kind of the contrast of, like, Saw when he still has, like, he's kind of still with it during Rebel Rising when Jin is young. And then to get to, like, where he's at in Guardians of the Wills, which is much closer to the start of Rogue One. Like, it's... I Honestly, Saw is the most interesting character, I think, like, on a through you know, over the over the entire canon. Saw as a very interesting character, but the, the novels themselves just I, I feel like something, you know, they all had probably had to be rewritten. Or they were conceived of not until, you know, the reshoots were finished and they knew what the new the new backgrounds for these characters were.
3: And then written very quickly. Yes. So that's In April. it's pretty significant. It's yeah. Four months. Yeah. <laughs> um and and, and what you're saying about Saw and how dynamic he is and how much, you know, you were able to, to learn about him, Kathleen Kennedy has said some relatively cryptic quotes about how they wanted to do much more with Saw initially, which, considering how much they changed Jen's path, I can only assume happened on screen. And, of course, there was a minor controversy when people saw, you know, Saw's hair change in the trailers, and they're like, what does it mean? And... I think that we probably—I can't remember what we said exactly, but I assume we all thought, well, you know, it just means that time has passed. So it's just you know one, 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 the other. But the reality is, is that it actually did mean something, and and that was that there was clearly more stuff filmed with short-haired Saw I, I
2: think I think this movie was originally conceived of to be a lot more about like the gray areas. I mean, I remember that during the marketing of the film when they first announced it, like you know what you know that. Things aren't necessarily good and evil. That there's a middle ground, and you can kind of see that a lot still in Cassian's character with like the horrible things that he is capable of doing in the beginning of the movie. But Saw is interesting because that first trailer, he has that quote in his short hair days when he says like, you know, when they come to find you, you know, like what will you become? Like there is a a sinister, dark aspect to like what Jin is possibly capable of, at least conceived of in that initial trailer. So I think that's where a lot of Saw's, like, I don't even know if he was like, it may have been the opposite. Jin may be the person who's done some dark things and Saw was the one that was trying to keep her, you know, level or, you know, who knows? But, um, I definitely, I think Saw changed the most probably, which is why they scrapped everything without hair, except for an on screen like an on vid monitor. You know, shot of him saying that he, you know, when you know, Krennic showed up to uh, the the Orson Homestead, and when he came to pick her up out of the the hole.
3: Yeah, and as as your question about the Rogue One comic adaptation, like I like it. it you know, normally, if when when com- comic comic adaptations are very difficult because they either are exactly the film, and you're like, why am I reading this? Why am I spending money on this? Or they can give something back. And in this case, um, the first issue opens with a a letter from Gareth Edwards saying, hey, you know, there was so much we wanted to include in the story and so much we weren't able to Uh, this. I was so glad to have the opportunity to, you know, go over with the Marvel team and include some extra material here that gives further development for characters. And yeah, uh, it's. It's great. There's some great added stuff. I mean, it's not as much as I would like. There's not as much added stuff as I feel like would really be truly worthwhile. Maybe if they released it as an original graphic novel instead of uh, you know, releasing it by issue and then collecting it, maybe there would have been room for the extra pages that they really needed to add more. But it does offer, I think, throughout greater emotional care, uh, clarity and character development that was like character development was one of the big criticisms of the film from just about everybody is that there's, they seem like they're great characters, but we didn't get enough of them to really connect.
2: I, I, th- I think that might be my, one of my most resounding impressions in the movie six months later is with a lot of the other star Wars films, um, I wasn't clamoring like of course I want to know more about certain characters but like it's not like I needed to but like this movie more than any other Star Wars film like sometimes like Cassian's background, like Jinn's, like there's so much like they've had such a, a sordid past you know like you know kind of a lot of you know psychological abuse it seems I mean Jin had a pretty rough upbringing I mean she basically was raised by a terrorist and then set free you know, she actually, like, she basically kind of started as a rebel, and then is at a point in her life that, like, the rebellion means nothing to her anymore. Like, there's a lot going on there, Mm -hmm. but we don't get a lot of that struggle in the movie. What's strange, like, the novelization actually, I think, does a much better job of that. Jin has constant, like, fever dreams or lucid dreams about being back in the hole, you know, waiting for her parents or, you know, some savior to come get her, and the, the conditions in the whole keep on reflecting what's going on in her life during the the events of Rogue One. And it's actually, it's very, like, I thought all that was very well written. I mean, she's constantly going back between her Coruscant apartment and, and you know, the the man in white or the troopers in black. And it's, you know, there's a lot of really good symbolism going on there to kind of move Jin's character along that the movie kind of, you know, the rebellion totally, like, took out her dad and in the book, she hates her dad, hates her dad for abandoning her, and, or, you know, she feels has abandoned her. And in the movie, she's just, you know, she's ready to go, you know, take on the Empire. But it's much more well put together in the novelization, and I think we missed that in the
3: movie. So what you've been getting, Matt, I've been sending you literally every single page of added content mm. to the the comics. So between the two, I'm saying, I'm guessing that you're going to say, if you spend money on one, let it be the novel.
2: I'm uh, yeah. I would say like, based on what you've sent me, I, I would say definitely the, the novel.
3: One of my favorite things about the comic so far, though, is you get a fair amount of greater establishing moments for Bodie Rook.
2: Yes, the book uh, did not have as many. Like it did have some great Bodie Rook stuff, but not a lot. And the stuff you've been sending me has been pretty good from the comic.
3: So that's so far the biggest uh, change. It's not done yet. Um, So I think we're, where are we? Um, Hmm. Vader and Krennic's confrontation on Mustafar and uh, Galen Urso getting blasted. And uh, and they actually, they wrote in, uh, they, they wrote in Jen's moment of, uh, we're rebels aren't we let's rebel but in a in a scene that was not the same scene and was way better delivered than it was in that trailer (laughs) i don't know i don't know if that was ever filmed um there was a, a a scene with mon mothma sort of apologizing and consoling jen after the death of her father which was nice um anyhow um the, uh, the other the other things that, that have shown and showcased the changes is the Rogue One visual guide had cl- conflicting info from the film, including placement of the Scarif, uh, Scarif comm tower, uh, which was one building. Everything was in one building in the film, but was in two separate buildings originally, hence the running across the beach shot with the plans thing from the trailer, which is, you know, that was with all the explosions and everything clearly you know the scene they had to work between two separate towers the art of book also shows two separate towers um and then there was <laughs> there was an abc program that was showing the showcasing the creation of k2so which unceremoniously showed an alternate death scene for k2 and cassian andor boom they died in front of a bunker door
2: pretty shocking that just kind of was out there.
3: And so so the and like we said, these changes, they might not matter, but it's fascinating how much we haven't that hasn't been shared about this process. Um, and maybe someday they'll be ready to be. you know, they don't want to get eviscerated, they don't want to get torn apart, and that's not why we're here. We're not here to eviscerate, we're not here to, to tear apart. We're here to just figure this shit out <laughs> because we don't know we don't know why these choices were made. We don't know you know what really happened in terms of did they make a film that was too dark and it needed to be lightened up? Did the, the the story has been told that originally at least Jen and Cassian were going to survive and that Disney was like, no, you got to kill him. Go ahead and kill him. No big deal. And that surprised the filmmakers, which is weird because, you know, they didn't ask. Okay. I don't know if I believe that or not, but at the very least, it seems like they were actually making a darker film and they made a film that was still dark with a bleak ending, but lightened it up and then added a bunch of other stuff like Tarkin and the blockade runner sequence, which was totally worth it for the Vader, but also totally damned in many regards the connective tissue between A New Hope, which it seemed like they thought they were like trying to give fans more value, but really it just fucks up the timeline.
2: Yeah, I... I... I'm very confused now. Um, I mean, the ship is literally fleeing from, you know, the Admiral Radice's ship, and in the next, you know, the beginning of the next movie, she's claiming that they're just a counselor ship. (laughs) Like, not, not, not exactly the best, uh, best excuse.
3: Like, can you imagine? Like, I don't know. Let's say somebody like Pablo Hidalgo be like, "You gotta be kidding me! How can you? I mean, just change the dialogue. Do something because we can't. This doesn't make sense." You realize the Twitter conversations I'm gonna have to have about this. Do you understand what you're
1: doing? Well, if you if you watch like these YouTube clips where people put the end of one to the beginning of the other, and you hear the anger Invader's voice, where like you are part of the Rebel Alliance, and like it's he's kind of had it, like like he literally just saw you 10 minutes ago. So <laughs> yeah, but I, mean, I also
2: saw saw them 10 minutes ago, and he had no problem cutting down every Alderanian like Honor Guard on the way to that door. But then all of a sudden is like. You know, questioning them and kind of playing coy with the whole like, "Where's the ambassador?" and like, you know,
1: you know, proclaiming her part of the Rebel Alliance. Like clearly, like he's not asking where the ambassador is. He's like, he's like, "Where are the plans?" Because like he's choking this one dude out because because they can't find them. They know they're on the ship. He knows they're on the ship. He saw them run into the ship. He goes, and the stormtroopers say, "Sorry, sir, we can't find the plans." And he's just like, "Where are those plans?" He's choking this guy, and he's like, "Oh, this is a Consular ship." And then he's just like, "Dude." You think I was fucking born yesterday? Where's the ambassador? So it's like a trick question. It's not. It's not real. It's rhetorical.
2: Well, I mean, once again, it. You know, if it wasn't for the fact that he was slashing them all to death, like just you know five minutes prior, like I, it, it sounds. You know, the, the conversation makes a little more sense without that going on.
1: Well, I mean, now he needs. He needs them alive now because he doesn't know where the plans are. He can't just like. Well, you blow need to the just ship. Shrug and Say go home. He could blow up the but, ship. But, but if you blow up the ship, you might blow up the evidence of where the plans went.
2: Uh, i mean i think just we're saying we're looking a little too i mean i mean it is just as bad as not shooting the escape pod because there's no life signs <laughs> but
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that was always a problem he didn't need rogue one for that mm-hmm. Like, where did leia get that dress on endor <laughs> Hopefully
3: oh. I
2: hope
1: answer that one day
3: <laughs> which I should add because this is in the Star Wars news episode you totally should start watching Forces of Destiny the uh, very brief animated short series that's uh, airing on Disney's YouTube channel right now we'll link to it on this episode's page and uh, they're a lot of fun they're great uh, there was a kind of weak episode with uh, Leia on Endor where you find out well you see her get the dress on Endor but it still doesn't explain the age que- old question of how, how- what <laughs> we <We're... Yeah. laughs> the the Ewoks they're, made they're that
2: good tailors. Those Ewoks are good tailors.
3: <laughs> they just they saw her, they sized her up, boom, done. Here it is, pressed and folded. Enjoy. <laughs> um so you know they're but the Ray ones are great.
2: Yeah, I do really like the Ray ones.
3: So a little bit of fun pre-production stuff from Rogue One. There was a panel at Star Wars Celebration with production designer uh Doug Chang. Um, who showcased that uh, the Rebel base, there were going to be two Rebel bases originally. They were going to sort of travel between the two of them, and we are going to see Dantuin. So when Leia, you know, says up, the base is on Dantuin, well, there was a base on Dantuin, and it was going to be um, filmed in Smoo Cave in Scotland, Um, and uh, they were going to have laser-cut rooms, so it would look like a rocky, wet version of Echo Base on Hoth. The, the idea being that, you know, these installations, these secret installations are sort of modular. They, they come in, they laser out a mountain and hide themselves.
2: It looks spectacular.
3: It, it did look amazing. And uh, the good news is that, you know, they never let anything go to waste. And so if we ever do see Dantuin in a thing again, they did love it. They loved it a lot and would really hope to use it. Editors John Gilroy and Colin Godey had uh, an interview where they they gave a lot of insight to things. They pointed out that the largest changes happened in the third act. So all the Scarif sequences Gilroy said the third act had a lot going on. You have like seven different action venues. The mechanics of the act change quite a bit in terms of the characters. And I don't want to go into too much detail about what had been there before, but it was different, (laughs) which is it was different is the only thing that people have been able to safely say because they're all very concerned about what they can and cannot say. The statement, the official statement, was that Gareth Edwards wanted to change how Jin was introduced after the prologue. But deciding to make the intro that we saw where she was locked up meant that they had to change other moments so that everything was cohesive. Goatee said when you see Jin as an adult, originally she was in a, in a meeting room just doing rebel stuff. That's not a nice introduction. So having her in prison and then the prison break with Cassian on a mission, everybody was a bit more ballsy, a bit more exciting, a bit more interesting. Um, of course, things like that have a ripple effect all through the movie. So there was a lot of work to do. And that, you know, all that sounds like, OK, that's totally reasonable. The, the movie was uh, was was darker, but boring. So they had to punch it up and then they had to change everything else in sequence and the best way they came up with for how to punch up Jin was to make her disenfranchised with the Rebellion or things like the Rebellion. Cool? Reasonable? Okay.
2: You know, it's interesting. I I feel like it wasn't until the second time I saw the movie that, like, I kind of... I mean, I understand that they mentioned, you know, she grew up with Saw, but for some reason, didn't, like, I kind of pictured her as more of a Han Solo-type person before she got thrown in prison, kind of just a criminal as opposed to a rebel-slash-terrorist. And... So, like, I, I definitely like the change that she was sort of disenfranchised person, but, like, I was a little confused on it, but that was probably just me.
3: I, th- I think we were all sort of expecting that because that was, in very broad strokes, what had been sold to us. No one said anything specific, but that was definitely the impression that it was given, I, th-
2: I feel. That she was a former terrorist or that she was just a criminal?
3: She was a Han Solo type.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'd say well, that's what I think it is.
1: Mon was reading her rap sheet.
2: Yeah, which to me sounds more like, you know, they just broke her out of prison, and the, her only connection to Rebellion and things like that was her father. That was, like, you know, her special circumstance, but, you know, then as kind of, like, spent more time paying attention, you know, that she was a little bit older when Saw got rid of her, and I haven't gotten to what she was doing after Saw left her yet in Rebel Rising, but... Once I do, we'll find out if she continues that path or she did abandon it, like uh, Cassian claims.
3: With Cassian, the early scene with him doing the spy stuff, which was, you know, very, very cool. And then also uh, Bodhi being escorted through Jeddah by Saw's people. Apparently all that was new. Totally added. Just to make things more exciting. Just to make the the movie have a more impactful start.
2: That is such a very blunt. introduction to Cassian that I can't I've got to imagine there are aspects of his story that have been cut later on and I don't know if I believe that that was added later I mean he just like you know he kind of ruthlessly murders that guy and it's cool it's a, a very unique take on on the idea of being a rebel but I didn't see where his character arc went where suddenly he was feeling really bad about all this stuff I will say once again the, novel, the novelization version when he's about to take out Galen Erso on uh, Idu, I mean, he, like, tosses the gun aside, and he's just distraught, and there's, like, tears in his eyes. Like, he can no longer do it. Like, he can no longer be an assassin. And, like, I don't know. I just feel like it plays stronger. I felt Cassian was very interesting. He might be my favorite of that group. But I don't know if the movie was very as effective as it could have been.
3: I sure hope he's going to be in that Han Solo movie. Me too. But, I mean. With Jabba. With yeah, with with Yaba, I mean, come on. Yabba. Um, come on. But if he's doing that cold-blooded killer stuff, did it feel natural in the novel for him to then like crack up with with Galen Urso? Why did why did Galen Urso cause that reaction? If he's such a cold-blooded killer, did it feel I, natural? It was
2: it, it his. It, it was Jin. I mean, it really was like kind of the sort of it was the constant lying during their mission together, like that he was you know it, almost he felt everything he was saying to her was a lie. And it was starting to, like, really weigh down on him in that in that regard.
1: And to know that you need to shoot the father of the person who was pretty good in a fight and is basically on your side. Yeah.
3: So the death of the main characters, I, I Matt, you were convinced that the folks weren't going to die in this movie. Not all of them, anyway. <laughs>
2: Yeah, just you know, hey, I was a victim of thinking that I knew too much about the way movies are made these days. And I was like, these are characters that they can totally market for years to come. And, you know, they're all kind of, I mean, particularly Felicity Jones herself is very up and coming actress, actor. And um, I just assume that with what Marvel is doing with having characters come together in Avengers films and Civil War and everything else that it would be a great model to be able to build up their own ensemble-type thing that they could have, that you could have a post-Yavin. Like, once once the Han Solo origin film was out, you could do a movie that takes place after A New Hope where, you know, she's on another mission, you know, to take down the Empire, and they need a good smuggler to, like, get her in. And it could be, like, Aaron Reich and Felicity Jones starring in some sort of, like, team-up movie. So I assume she would have survived. Um... But hey, they caught me by surprise. Yeah,
3: there's tons and tons of quotes from Gareth Edwards about this experience. Um, For instance, the original instinct was that they should all die. It's worth it. If you're going to give your life for anything, give your life for this, to destroy a weapon that's going to kill you all anyway. That's what we always wanted to do, but we never explored it because we were afraid that Disney might not let us do it, that Disney might think it's too dark for Star Wars movie or for their brand just so weird you wouldn't ask
2: <laughs> yeah yeah that 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 is that is strange i wonder if they considered it i mean i i don't know considered i what? um
3: considered telling them yeah don't kill him or or i mean what like
2: or or if they were it's just an active discussions about whether or not they should like you know i don't know if it was really uh like they went about doing their own thing with the idea that the characters were all going to live and then disney was like nah just kill him Like, I think they probably went through and said, are these characters, like, marketable? Can we sign them to multi-contract, you know, multi-picture contracts? Can we, you know, see what they could do? And then probably decided, like, no, let's just, you know, you know, not worth it. Which, I have to say, like, is brave and is cool. And I think I, I liked... I liked all of their deaths, I think, in the course of the movie. And the way it worked, I don't think they had to die. I know a lot of fans argue that. I don't understand that argument. Like... You know, it doesn't say anything in the beginning of A New Hope to say that everybody died at that battle. It literally actually says the rebel, the rebellion, won their first victory, which, you know, as it turned out, they yes, they won, but man, you know, it was quite a quite a loss.
3: They lost an entire squadron.
2: Yeah, I mean the, the whole squadron. I'm sure. I like hard to tell, but I think you know probably Admiral Raddus and his entire. I mean, they disabled the ship. Yeah, I no doubt. I all mean, dead.
3: fuck yeah, it, it, a pity because I love Raddus, but
2: yeah, Raddus is terrific. And um, you know, uh, I never understood the 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 weird argument that a lot of fans have that like because they're not in a New Hope, they have to die. Like Mon Mothma wasn't in a New Hope. Does that mean she didn't join the rebellion until just before Jedi? Like that doesn't like none of that really made any sense to me. But hey, it was good because it actually took me by surprise in the theaters, which is awesome because I spoiled myself heavily on this movie, and yet I they still managed to surprise me
3: screenwriter Chris White said, um, they finally went off and fought for it. We told them we feel they all need to die. And Kathleen Kennedy and everyone else said, go for it. We got the ending. We wanted, um, Bodhi Rook, Truett M and Baze Malbus didn't yet exist, but in the original draft K2 did and he died. Um, the, originally, the only survivors were Cassian, who had a different name, and Jin Erso, who was a sergeant. They both escaped uh, Scarif in those last moments. Jin and Cassian escaped the facility with plans in hand, carrying the data tapes across the beach. Um, Gary Witta then also explained a little bit more. A rebel ship came down and got them off the surface. The transfer of the plans happened later. They jumped away, and later Leia's ship came from Alderaan to help them. The ship-to-ship data transfer happened off Scarif. Vader, at the end, was a last-minute inclusion, but in the original ending, Vader was still in pursuit, and he began attacking Jyn's shuttle as the Rebels transmitted the stolen information from the data tapes to Leia's ship. Vader succeeds in breaching the the Rebel shields, and he destroys Urso's shuttle. The audience would have been left wondering if Jyn and the other heroes made it out alive, but as Vader's Star Destroyer goes to chase after Leia in the Tantine IV the camera would have panned to the floating fragments of the debris from the destroyed ship and would have been revealed that Urso and Andor got away um, in an escape pod just in time. The pod looked like another piece of debris.
2: I, it could have
3: been cool. Yeah, I, honestly, like, I mean, we've already discussed at some length the problem with what happened with the the trade-off of plans. So, whereas... You know, I don't whether Jen or Cassian survive, I think I think that we got the better ending ending for them in Mm -hmm. the movie that was released in theaters. I think Vader tearing apart another ship was the best way. I mean, and granted he was tearing apart Radus's ship, but like Vader being not quite on top of like within force grasping distance to the ship with the plans on it, (laughs) that would have been better for me.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. the Vader sequence is great like if it had taken place like I don't know in the bunker on Scarif or something you know and Scarif didn't necessarily need to be destroyed by the Death Star I will say also I was never a fan of the single reactor ignition like oh you know it's a big deal when Alderaan blows up so let's not blow up a whole planet let's just blow up a city so we'll just do single reactors just fine like I feel like that was sort of just a We definitely want the Death Star to be powerful, but we can't, like, you know, take away the impact of Alderaan's destruction, I guess. I don't know.
3: Yeah, well, and it was... Whereas, it's a bit like, oh, come on. I mean, we know, we've seen... We have seen the Death Star blow stuff up since 1977. So, is it the idea that, like, it could also just kind of, like, boop out a city? It seems a little silly because it's meant to be such a threatening weapon, but... I mean, th- I mean that's a good plan for the emperor to have built the capacity to destroy something on a smaller scale like that because mm-hmm. maybe they just want to they want the resources a, a planet has and they want to subdue the planet by being like, all right, your capital city, it's gone. So maybe right. maybe in the end it, it makes a lot of sense. And they were able to spin it in a in a way so that the, um, you know, the senate was told it was what a uh, some kind of big mining disaster. Mining disaster. So they so that the empire could then get away with like doing some other shit while the Senate was still, you know, blind.
2: Right. Well, I mean, the Imperial Senate does get disbanded within like a day of, <laughs> true. of well, this movie. We
3: don't really know how long Vader's chasing Leia. It's
2: true. That is true.
3: That's the one saving grace to all of this is we don't know how long, like, is it long enough that he's like, okay, there's a blockade runner. Let's just, <sighs> is this the right one? We'll find out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I think Gareth Edwards had said at a certain point that he always imagined New Hope starting five minutes after Rogue One ended. Like, that's how he was originally pitching it, even at Celebration.
3: Eh, uh, fair point, fair point. But officially, point. who knows? But hey, but hey,
1: you know, who knows? Maybe we'll get a little comic book that takes place between where, you know, they're, like, at warp for several days or something like that. Like, how, how, um, how far away is uh, Scarif from Tatooine?
3: We
2: certainly must know that, right? I don't know the location of the new... The new canon, I guess. I mean, a lot of the planets are in the same spot, but I don't know where the new planets are from the new movies. Hmm. I will say um, the Disney movies, hyperspace, they're rewriting the rules, which is fine because I guess they've never been established. But all that like radio chatter during hyperspace and like Poe being able to come out of hyperspace at on command, like, you know, the sort of, you know, the shield is down and they get that radio communication and force awakens. So they simply like power down hyperdrive as if they're like. I don't know if they're in light speed, just circling around Starkiller base or what's going on there, but you know, there's definitely like, I don't think it takes very long to travel through hyperspace anymore, or it's very complicated. I mean, both, you know, Han went to hyperspace inside a docking bay. And then in rogue one, they went into hyperspace while they're in atmosphere. Like it doesn't matter anymore.
3: Hmm. Here's something we know very little about, and that's the addition of Tarkin. Um, Matt, you're a pretty big proponent that Tarkin was a last-minute addition. Um, and, but the thing is, we actually know nothing about the timeline for that. I, I've sat in on a whole panel almost entirely dedicated to the creation of Tarkin at Celebration. A very I don't really think he was pulled off particularly well. I think they still uh, they needed a bit more refinement to really truly be believable um, on screen. But, but the I, process will, I will works, argue
2: that might be a time thing.
3: Yeah, well, that's 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 fa- that's very fair. the The process um, is at the very least fascinating, but mm-hmm. I can't imagine them developing something like this and thinking, "Oh, this is a good last minute edition. Let's let's reshape the film to include this inexplicable display of like technological advancement." Was it necessary? Did was tar- Did they? Why would they? You know, adding more Darth Vader. I get they can sell Darth Vader. But Gramoff Tarkin is a fan favorite character. No one's no one's feeling super love for Gramoff Tarkin unless they like you know, they're deep into Star Wars. So why is it? Yeah, that I would you say think...
2: first that they should have been feeling that <laughs> 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 that love to get more Tarkin. But I, I understand what you mean. Like, yeah, he's not exactly what people are you know.
3: No, what they want I'm... is they want Inexplicable Ponda Baba and C three PO.
2: gosh. <laughs> um you know, something... There's definitely something weird about the Tarkin edition because, yeah, it doesn't look as... Uh, I would argue the Leo one looks a little bit better. And also, that technology is really good. Obviously, on living actors, it's been very effective. The Marvel series has done it amazingly in a number of films now. And um, it was also very good in uh, the Fast and Furious movie where Paul Walker had just passed away where they used his brother and then mapped his face over it. And it was really good. Um so I, I would say Tarkin probably could have used some more seasoning, a little more time in the oven. But the reason I think it was a last-minute addition is because Krennic is the most neutered villain in, like, Star Wars history. Like, he spends an entire movie one step behind the good guys, which is doesn't make for a great villain. Like, I feel like the only villainous thing he managed to accomplish, like, without Tarkin's, you know, assistance is, you know, killing... Jin's mother and then you know taking her father but for the rest of the movie he doesn't know about the leaks in his own base he doesn't um you know he loses command of the project he grovels the vader and gets choked for it he you know jinn gets the best of him on scarif like you know his troops on scarif don't even deploy the garrison properly (laughs) i will say he does deliver some great lines but they're always because he's like he's behind the eight ball the entire movie and it's just annoying because he ends up being like completely unthreatening
3: and that that's all very true yeah
2: yeah and 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 I want to add Ben Mendelsohn is a terrific actor and what a wasted opportunity like because he could have probably been an amazing imperial even like Ben Mendelsohn himself said that they uh filmed various versions of like all his different scenes throughout the entire movie and then when he saw the finished cut like he was shocked by how many of the scenes went with a certain version the quote that he has is that like there was enormous differences within 20 or 30 of the scenes so I gotta imagine Krennic, you know, used to be the big bad, and then he ended up being kind of like the stooge, the Tarkin and, and Vader. Because I mean, I don't even think like, yeah, sure, he destroys Jeddah City, but like, I mean, really, Tarkin was overseeing it. I mean, he even takes credit for it. You know, uh, the like,
3: narrative has become Krennic as a symbol for the um, the Empire eating its people alive. And that's kind of interesting, but also a shame because he's a great actor and because the character was designed in such a way to show that could like he he represents a ton of possibilities for for what what was probably filmed and was not realized in the final version of the movie. Mm -hmm. And why of all the character punching up that they did, why did they neuter Krennic?
2: Yeah, I I don't understand that. Yeah, the the article about from uh Ben Mendelsohn like goes on to say that there's like there's more Darth Vader footage to go around than the actual movie offers. Krennic th- tells Vader in a missing scene the power we are dealing with is immeasurable. It's like Krennic, who is scared of Darth Vader in the final cut is seen standing his ground with the Sith Lord. And there's even a rumor like I remember an article a couple months ago, a rumor that like he tries taking a shot at Vader at one point.
3: Yeah, it was like it was at least boarded um but yeah, no, I've seen I've seen materials pertaining to a scene where he attempts to fire at Vader.
2: Yeah, which I got to say out of all the things, all the characters kind of like having their histories rewritten, the the most shameful thing might be what happened to Krennic because I think there was a lot of great potential there.
3: Yeah, and this leads to our lasting questions about Rogue One. Like what does it all mean? This is the, you know, the inaugural concept piece for expanded universe Star Wars filmmaking. And what kind of precedence has it set? Why was it revised so much? Did we get a better movie? Or did we get a movie that was more doctored to make the most money, placate the most fans? Why is it that The Last Jedi seems to indicate so much hands off filmmaking, that Ryan Johnson has had so much freedom and then Rogue One was, you know, severely doctored? Was it simply that, that they that the experiment of the anthology films was scary enough to someone in Lucasfilm, Disney, wherever.
1: Well, after watching it a few more times, the feeling that I kind of go with is that it. when a scene feels like, oh, this seems like it was added later, or even if you're not entirely sure, I feel like all the scenes that were added were indeed to expand upon the characters. Like, I know we still feel like we wanted a little bit more, but... All those earlier scenes, they are character-driven, and they are meant to show you something more about them. So I personally err on the side of it's a better film because of it. I mean, also because we don't really know what we're missing with some of the other things. But, you know, if all the other things were maybe a little too conflicting or a little too vague or even a little bit too boring, all these things that were added seem to at least make it more exciting, interesting, and different. Except for the Bogan thing. What was that? Is It is the Bogan that we're... Tentacle monster that Rare had?
2: No, no. The uh, it's the the Bogullet. Bogullet. That's it. That's it. Yeah, the Bogan is the old. He, he knows the truth. Term for the force. Yeah, actually, he's the only one who knows if we ended up with a stronger movie.
1: <laughs> well, I, I I was like that scene out of the whole movie. That's the one scene that still really bothers me because I'm just like, okay, we set it up that it knows the truth, and if you lie, it'll kill you. He survives. But then Saul Guerrero is like, "That pilot is still lying." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, why?" did Well,
2: you well, he said that know. that you have a tendency to lose your mind, and so it's like, okay, so he's gonna be like a, a vegetable for us rest the movie. No, he was fine after you know they said hi to him eventually. <laughs> like, I don't like, yeah, yeah he had no really bearing on about. the rest of the film
1: whatsoever. Nah. I will
3: say that entire thing did it was not flawless because Saul still you know makes it sound like uh, Bodhi's gonna fucking die. And he doesn't. But the entire process of what Bodhi's going through was so much better handled in the comics. Like so much better. Like oh, if they, really? yeah, if they if they done it like that in the movie, um, it would have been an improvement. But the thing is, is that the 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 comic establishes the capacity to show flashes of character memories. That's part of the comics narrative. And they never did that in the film, so that was a huge component of um, Bodhi's mind cycling through things, putting himself in different situations, like seeing scenes from different perspectives, and basically you watch him sort of go mad and ha- and have the opportunity to claw his way out of that madness.
2: Hmm, that sounds cool.
3: It happens yeah, I, in passing, but it is an improvement.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've heard references that Bo Gullet could return in Last Jedi, that like that it was actually a setup. But I've also heard the same for for Jedha. and I do think they'll go back to Jeda one day. I think it would be cool if like Episode Nine featured the ruins of Jeda, and it was a significant aspect to like the origins of the Jedi or something. But um, yeah, I don't know. And then the ba- ba- Basil and
1: Cherry weird. can then bump into somebody and be like, "Watch where you're going!" And we're like, yeah. "Oh, they're gonna <laughs> die soon."
2: Uh, <laughs> I hope. I hope Doctor Evazan and uh, Ponda Baba are in every single Star Wars spinoff. <laughs>
3: like um okay so we're we you know we've thrown shade. We've thrown I've probably done this before even. We 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 threw shade for the the blockade runner scene fucking up the timeline. But but really Ponda Baba and Dr. Everson like that that is what fucks things up. So so you mean to tell me that within like half an hour or you know like they got on a shuttle that just so happened to be going directly to Tatooine just just coincidentally like they escaped total annihilation and ended up in the trajectory of the entire plot. <laughs>
2: uh-huh. Oh yeah. Totally. Cool.
3: <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't
2: know. And what's worse is like the, the prosthetics didn't actually look like they didn't look like the Evazan and Pandababa from like, they were a little thinner. I don't know. It was, it was weird. Um, it was awful. It was awful. And, and here's the thing though, as we've, we, we may have discussed on air before, but we definitely have discussed off air. Like, when I saw the movie on opening night, like, people cheered when they showed up. Like, you know, if, if, you, if we don't like the Evazan Pondabobo gratuitous cameos, like, you know, we got to stop laughing. <laughs> but I have a feeling that people like them. So, you know. And here's know. the thing,
3: like, I, I love cameos for background characters. That's, that's super fun. It's just that when they did them in this movie, they sucked. <laughs> yeah. like and they didn't have to this is another beautiful opportunity whizzing by you on the highway of like oh boy it could it could have been something else but instead yeah. it was that um i mean it could have been like like cad bane you know cussing them out like yep you know wow now that's a that's a deep cut that would have delighted a lot of young people um
1: amazing um <laughs> could have been will hood buying an ice cream maker <laughs> yeah <laughs> Ch- chopper and, and
2: ghost were perfect Yes. And I don't mind that three PO and R two were shown right there. I just wish that line had been different. It was yeah. It was delivered. a dumb
3: line. It was a really it's like a line. It was like it was like in the last Christopher Nolan Batman movie where they're like, "Oh wait, your name's actually Robin." Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Come on.
2: Which makes no sense. Um, <laughs> but so to answer the, the 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 big crux of the question, stronger film, I'm gonna go with we ended up with a stronger film that is safer, but I don't think it's because where they were going with it was a bad idea. I think it was they chose, like, no offense. I think Gareth Edwards is a very charming, like, pretty decently talented guy, but I don't know if he was the right person to ask to do a war film. I think this movie could have been different. And also, you know what? I don't even want to put it all on him. I also want to put it on where they started with the writers, like, with, with Gary Whitta doing the first like draft. you know, I don't know if this is the right... like. If they wanted to make that dark film they initially conceived of, that John Knoll initially pitched to Kathleen Kennedy, I don't know if they went the right place to have it written. I, I think this the film we ended up with on screen was stronger than the one that they initially start, went out to make, but the idea could have been a much better non-traditional film.
1: You, you can find the script for The Force Awakens online, but you can't find Rogue One. That is very interesting. <laughs>
3: And we've seen what Gareth Edwards is capable of. Like, the first act of Godzilla is amazing. And most of his indie film, Monsters, is also amazing. And that what that proves to me is that Gareth Edwards' primary palette, the thing he excels at, the thing that he is maybe even a master of, is mood, atmosphere, and emotional tension. With an ensemble cast in a major blockbuster like it it didn't it didn't land and you see that in the second and third acts of godzilla and in rogue one, rogue one is a far better film than that movie but not a far better film than the first act of that movie
2: right and by the way tony gilroy also did you know mop up film, uh directing on godzilla as well
3: yes he did that's something else that we don't know an awful lot about um yeah and it, maybe, maybe they're you know I've I've heard different interpretations of that. Like, is it is it that he mopped up, or is it that they like have a working relationship where like he's the guy who knows how to steer all of Gareth's impressionistic ideas into a blockbuster film? I don't know, but I know that I like I like when Gareth does his thing very much, and I would like to see a Star Wars film by him where he has the freedom to just do a bunch of long moody shots. Um, but that leads us to our final question for this episode. How will Rogue One be remembered?
2: And I think this is the most important question because Star Wars is about legacies and, you know, Marvel, I don't know if you guys saw the announcement that, you know, Marvel is ending this story arc after 26 films. Um,
3: I, I which didn't I imagine it's probably going
2: to lead to some sort of like reboot of the universe or something. Hmm. And we're going to reach a point where star Wars is in the teens and like, we're actually not even that far from it. Like someday we're going to hit, you know, 20 star Wars films, which is crazy to think about. And the nice thing that Marvel has going for it is they have a legacy of these characters having some sort of basis. So like, you know, even if their movies come and go, like they still have something to fall back on. But, Are we going to remember Rogue One when we're 20 movies in? Is that the one people are going to be like, oh, yeah, that one? And I say that because at Celebration this year, which is our first real chance to see how people felt about Rogue One, like, altogether. Like, I saw not that much cosplay. The the cast wasn't there, like, on panels. Well, yeah, that's
3: a weird thing. They were there, but they were there for autographs. There were no... All the Rogue One panels were dedicated to the technical aspects of Rogue One, and they were great panels. But where were the opportunities for the cast to speak? Well, understandably, they were not given the opportunity to speak because that would be dangerous.
2: Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, and, you know, like, these characters, they all died. So, like, they don't even have a legacy for the future. The only legacy that they have for further stories is, you know, comics and books, I guess, unless they get some movies where they show up every once in a while.
3: Well, I mean, in but, uh, in August, we are getting the first Rogue One thing that's not an adaptation, the the prequel comic of how Cassian and K2 met.
2: Yes, which, um, you know, is exciting. I, I hope it lives on. Like I hope, like the other fit, like, you know, we're still like, yes, it, it ha- the, the prequel era stuff has slowed down since Disney, you know, made their acquisition, understandably. But you know, Clone Wars still has its enduring legacy. And, you know, when the Expanded Universe was going strong, they were still making books about Obi-Wan, still making books about Qui-Gon and, and Mace Windu and everything else. And, like, I don't know how long they'll be doing Rogue One stuff. Is, is, is Are they only going to be doing things for, the for like, the, the months before and the year after the films come out, and then it's gone? If it doesn't live on, does that mean it wasn't successful? Or it doesn't matter as long as it made money and it made a billion dollars. So. Sure, I guess if that's how you measure success, it's successful, but it's not much of a legacy.
3: No, I mean, and the characters don't need to, to live to have legacy. Like, this no. is an important part of the Star Wars story. This really, this you know, enhanced the stakes. If you, wa- if you watch, you know, if you're watching these films for the first time and you, you watch Rogue One and you go to A New Hope, you might even be a little disappointed because you're like, wait, we got to follow this fucking farm boy now? I just watched <laughs> some hardened <laughs> criminals do some shit. Yep. <laughs> um... <laughs> But it's if I guess we'll see how much backstory they're given. We're going to see some Jinnor so in the Forces of Destiny cartoon, and
2: yeah, it's it. I was just it's it's interesting too. So much like in broad strokes has already been said about their previous life. Like it's like they didn't have it in the movie, so they were like, "Well, we need to explain it now." Like you know, Basil and Cherries were kind of like stuck on Jeddah doing their thing for years, and kind of that book like yeah, you could have some one-off adventures, but, like, they've already kind of limited themselves to, unless they finally tell us what the Temple of Kyber was like pre-Empire, you know, and then, so we have, like, real young basil and cherries, but, you know, Jin's history from, you know, her being in the hole on Lamu up to, you know, Rogue One is kind of, like, told in Rebel Rising. It's like, they filled in all those details. She spent a lot of time living on an island with Saw. (laughs) Like, you know, it's, I I don't it's weird. I I I would not be surprised to see Lucasfilm kind of abandon these characters to very little ongoing adventures.
3: Which would, is a shame. I mean, would you think that they would actively dissuade people from using them or would they be like, "Yeah, sure, why not? No one cares."
2: Um, I don't know. That's I will I guess it depends on, you know, if the people at Marvel or I would I would imagine Marvel and, and more so than uh the, you know, Del Rey, the the books team would want to tap into the the uh I think it's a much more interesting era for them. But um I don't know, maybe we'll eventually get something. I, even like the way they handle the prequels now where it's like these character series, you know, it's like they're not it's not like Mace Windu and the you know, Wind Raiders of whatever it's just like Mace Windu like this five issue miniseries is like his you know, that that's the the extent of his adventures, you know, like I don't know I, I'm not sure I'm a fan of how they've been kind of going at the non-original trilogy eras of more storytelling
1: Hmm Hmm Well, I think in the grand scheme of things as far as Legacy is concerned to compare it I would say if when Star Wars gets to the point where it has, like, over 20 movies the same way, like, Bond does, I think Rogue One's going to be seen more like that one-off, like, uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Yeah. you know?
3: Which ain't a bad thing, because these days, yeah. you know, we celebrate Omas. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's like, we, like, Rogue One may be, like, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and by the way things were sounding, maybe we narrowly avoided Han Solo being compared to the 1960s Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll see i i it'd just be interesting
2: to go to a star wars celebration in 15 years and like how am i going to react when i see someone cosplaying as Jin urso i going to go like holy crap a Jin urso or i'm gonna be like oh there's another Jin urso which i think it's better when you think oh there's another Jin urso because it means that it's still fresh in people's minds but i have a feeling that rogue one will be kind of like a oh yeah i remember that movie
3: and is that I okay? Mean, and that's the big question because, I mean, because we want, we I mean, really, we want there to be such a great diversity of Star Wars anthology films that, you know, that there could be like experimental films. There could be forgettable films. There could be mistakes that are made. Yeah. So, I suppose time will tell how much we really do get to know about, about how this movie was made and when these things actually happened because, you know, I believe that most of the things they say happen, happened. But it's when they happened that is the big ambiguous point. And a lot of people covering for a lot of peop- other people, which is fine because I think that everybody involved was, you know, good at their jobs and, and nice folks. But somewhere along the line, I, I would love to know, you know, where the decision was made to make these changes and why. Yeah, the
2: Filmmaking's interesting. We want to know those things. Like, yeah, freaking Twitter will go a little crazy, but like... Don't listen, you know. Don't listen to the trolls. Like, I want to know about these things more for the for the oral histories, for the you know, like, the diverging paths of 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 Star Wars. And not not because I want to like eviscerate somebody, like, you know, I want to know.
1: Yeah. And I think I th- I think even if you remove the Darth Vader lightsaber hallway sequence, the whole third act of that movie is like, I think that's going to be some classic Star Wars battle scenes like you're just going to be up there with like the battle of hoth and stuff people are just going to remember it because it's like i mean may- maybe maybe it only feels that way now because it's been so long since we've seen as cap put it a star war <laughs> but like just like just a classic era battle that had so much writing on it and was also so much fun to behold by the
2: way and if, and if lucasfilm is out there listening and i hope they are like, if they want to make some Cassian Andor prequel films in which, like, it's basically James Bond films where he goes into M- Mon Mothma's, you know, M's office every day and gets, like, a mission, <laughs> I'm totally game with that.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And <clears throat> I mean, uh, the Diego Luna fan club is very strong. And, oh, yes. uh, wh- the, I mean, his presence in a movie guarantees butts in seats. That's, that's a fact. That's an international fact. He's mm-hmm. a very charming man. He's a very handsome man, and I want to see him on screen with his one true love, Yabba the Hutt. Yes. So, I was
1: just going to say, if you want to make it happen, we need to tell Diego Luna that we have a script where Cassian Andor has to infiltrate Jabba's cartel, and he has to come face-to-face with him and, like, broker some sort of deal uh, oh my on, God. You know, under the it's table just, for the rebellion.
2: Let's just remake License the Kill, where he makes friends with Jabba, and, like, then he ha- he's, like, <laughs> conflicted about whether or not he should betray his new friend. Like... <laughs>
3: Yes. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> oh, I want it! I want it so bad. Um, by the way, if for some reason the um, the Diego Luna and Jabba the Hutt, aka Yaba, if that doesn't make any sense to you, we got a YouTube video that you really need to watch. It's super important. It's really fucking important <laughs> that you it watch this video. Might be the most video. important thing
2: you get out of this podcast. Yeah, uh,
3: there's. Yeah, you really, you really got to check this out. So uh, we'll, we'll link to uh, a video about the relationship between Diego Luna and uh, Yaba. Come on.
1: Yaba, come on.
3: Mm-hmm. Touching his, you know, like his belly. <laughs> he, like,
1: oh, I
3: am so <laughs> tempted. The texture of Yaba is something I, I need to discover. I believe that's it. That's everything that we've learned in the six months since Rogue One has come out and all of our quandaries, questions, and concerns pertaining to that. Still a fantastic movie filled with characters that I love and I want to see more of. And I, I hope that its legacy doesn't die. I want this movie to, to carry on because there's parts of it that are very, very worthy of carrying on as cornerstones of the rogues gallery of Star Wars.
2: Yeah, I think I think Jetta City is like one of the best things that's been added to Star Wars in like a very, very, very long time. And I think lots of expanded universe writers and illustrators could do amazing things with Jetta in the future among many other great things in Rogue One. But, like, there are things about Rogue One or that are some of, like, my favorite things in Star Wars.
3: So there you have it. Now, something I want to point out is you can always contact us. We are extremely accessible. You can find us on Facebook, on the Star Wars Spoilers group, or if that's too spoilerific for you and you don't like to venture beyond the blast doors, well... That's fine. You can email starwars at nerdyshow.com or talk to us on the Nerdy Show forums or on Reddit for that matter. You can comment on this episode's page. Also, you can indeed rate and review us on iTunes, ideally with a five-star review, but you know, you're just being honest. And also, there's Podchaser. Podchaser is a brand new platform which allows you to rate and review not just series, but specific episodes. Since our last episode where I put out a call to arms for people to rate our individual episodes, we got some, so thank you so much, everybody, and keep them coming. Every time a new episode of any show you love on the Nerdy Show Network comes out, hop on a Pod Chaser and uh, give us your thoughts, or just click a re- review number, star count, you know, whatever works. If you haven't checked out Pod Chaser yet, it is in closed beta right now, and that means you need access codes to get in there. So to do that, you just go to nerdyshow.com/podchaser, and there you will see all the information you need about what Pod Chaser is, how it works, and also our beta key codes which are nerdy and nerdy show we will be back in probably a couple weeks with a brand new deluge of star wars news we have d23 and san diego comic-con on the horizon where there is certain to be a good amount of reveals maybe so much as a new trailer for the last jedi but time will tell as always thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on state of the empire